You mentioned you have 23 employees, roughly, and they're spread out over 19 time zones. And that sounds like a juggling act for an expert. And so I'm curious, how do you guys handle 19 time zones with 23 people? The, The thing is, is we just always from the beginning, we started out that way. So it just became normal to us. It's all just been kind of our DNA that we don't expect people to be on the same time zone. We stand today. The Business Method. With a shout out. The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their online and location-independent business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that had built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we are interviewing 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that generate a million dollars or more in annual revenue. There's a growing movement of people building these caliber of businesses, and we are getting behind the minds, the logic, and the science of what it takes to build businesses like this. On top of that, we also gather entrepreneurs at events and retreats around the world. This October, we are having our annual event in Thailand, Get Shit Done Live. It's 10 days of high-performance productivity, targeted collaboration, and rapid execution designed for entrepreneurs to get a lot of work done in a little amount of time. Some say it's like 10 months of work in 10 days. There's a magic that happens when brilliant minds come together to push one another towards productive execution. That is exactly what this retreat is about. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That is thebusinessmethod.com. Now, let's jump in today's show. The Business Method. I love remote companies. I love the idea of them. I love the freedom they give the founders and the employees. I love that more and more companies around the world are getting to the point where they can work with their teams anywhere in the world as long as they have a decent internet connection. Today's guest is Andy Fawcett, and he is the founder of GMB Fitness. GMB is a $3 million company that is dedicated to helping people expand their movement, mobility, range, and strength. And they are a remote company with 23 employees over 19 time zones. Today on the show, Andy and I chat about how he manages so many time zones and maintains the communication and culture throughout the company. We also chat about how living abroad has made Andy a better entrepreneur, why he loves Japan, and how he overcomes scarcity beliefs from childhood. You guys, another amazing episode. And without further ado, let's welcome Andy Fawcett to the show. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Listeners, I am excited to welcome Andy Fawcett to the show. Andy, how are you doing today? Pretty damn well. Good. (laughs) That's a good way to be. And I hear you're calling in from Japan. Is that right? Yeah, I uh, am just in the process of getting moved to Tokyo. So I I know that you're in Japan now, Andy, Mm -hmm. and you spent a considerable amount of your life there. Can you give us us some reasons why you choose Japan and why you continue to stay there? So I think the biggest thing about Japan that I really enjoy is that it is it is I've spent enough time here that it's familiar to me and I know how things work. I speak the language. I'm comfortable, but it's still not my original culture. It's not where I was born. It's still other in a lot of respects. So 
even though I'm not confused by how things work, even though I'm not uh, lost or really discovering new things quite as much as I was in the beginning, I always feel that I'm still getting to see my daily life through kind of different eyes from a different perspective when the context of being in Japan is superimposed on top of the regular things I do. I still wake up in the morning. I still love cappuccinos. I still read a lot of books. I still do the same things. I still do the same work no matter where I am. But I'm in Japan. It's in a context that's a little different. So, you know, walking to the, the coffee shop and getting that cappuccino, I see different things. I talk to different people and I sit in a different kind of room. Right. It's just little things that are like that that I enjoy. And I've traveled to a bunch of places and I enjoy most of the places that I've been. I'm not going to lie and say all of them, <laughs> but I enjoy most of the places I've been. But I think Japan, since I've spent so much time here, I get a combination of that comfort and home feeling with. But it's still also different enough to where I'm from that it's it's. It's a, it's a different context and different perspective, right? So it, it's not too far out of that that it takes me so far out of my comfort zone I can't get anything done or can't live my normal life, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's just a little different. It's like a balance between traveling and not traveling. It's, it's like halfway for me now, right? I can completely understand that because I spent <laughs> nearly two years in Barcelona but seven years traveling. And yeah. um, that feeling is, is really good because you're still looking at the world. I'm still looking at the world with eyes of a child, but at the same time, comfortable in my area that I'm in yeah. for the time being. It was, it was like reading really good science fiction where things are just different enough that you realize it's not the life you're used to. And I think that that was the thing that got me hooked on wanting to wanting to get used to those things in a different way, seeing, seeing telephones in a different context, seeing, uh, seeing McDonald's in a different context, seeing all of the daily life, all the regular things you do every day in a different context and realizing that they're not strange to the people that grow up in that culture, but that they're different enough that it kind of, you know, it expands your mind. And after spending so much time here, I guess I, I feel like I have, you know, multiple ways of looking at the same kind of things. It, I feel like it's really changed the my my mental vocabulary. Yeah, I think that's one thing that's so great and especially living abroad, one of the things that it really gives you because y you see everything that you know differently when you see it through a different set of lenses, right? And and it changes the world, it changes yourself, it changes your ideas, but it also changes, you know, the business that you do too, which can really help entrepreneurs understand business and grow. Have you noticed anything specifically from spending your time abroad? Because I know also you lived in, have you lived anywhere else besides Japan and Hawaii? In the US? Um, not long term. Uh, I've, I've, I like traveling around a bit and I've spent a good amount of time in Australia um, and, and a few different places around the U S but in terms of living long periods, that would definitely be, uh, be mostly Japan. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So I have some questions we're going to dive into a little bit later, but I want to get sure. to know you more as the entrepreneur right. that you are. If you don't mind just taking the mic and then give us a, a brief intro of who Andy is and his, uh, how he became the entrepreneur that he is today. 
Yeah, that's that's serious existential stuff because <laughs> you know who who is the entrepreneur who is Andy Fawcett? I don't know. It's it's like a colon inside a colon there. Yeah. Uh, like the main thing is that I never really thought of myself as an entrepreneur. Um, I I still that word doesn't really connect for me. I don't think it's a bad thing, but it's not it's not really how I see myself. Even though I know that it it's accurate. Um, when I was growing up, my father ran a family plumbing business, and for the ten or fifteen years that he did that, I just remember it was hell for him. It was so it it was to the point where you know he had to work seventy hours a week, paid everyone else before himself, um, and his health went to hell, and he just wasn't happy, right? right? And then when they finally closed the business, and he started doing the same job for someone else, making twice as much money, working half as much time, it was like the happiest year of his life, you know, <laughs> and like. From then, I always thought, man, I never want to run my own company. <laughs> and I kept that all through like high school, college, uh, you know, through my mid-20s. I just never really wanted that. So I did a lot of different things. You know, I, I worked at coffee shops. I taught English in Japan for a few years. Uh, you know, I, I did all kinds of stuff. I was a semi-pro bass player for a little bit. But the main thing was that I... I've always been kind of independent and that's the thing that has led me to become an entrepreneur is that 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 uh, chasing autonomy for myself. I've never wanted to just follow a path or do what what seems like the right choice or not not necessarily the right choice but the the usual choice and not not out of any need to be different or or be iconoclastic but just that um, especially having traveled a bit I have always been fascinated with the idea of options and that there is a lot more freedom out there than people really take advantage of. And so I've always loved the idea of making use of my autonomy, not just having freedom, but then making decisions based on those options and, and following them through. Right. Mm -hmm. So that, that sort of, uh, path of following autonomy, I think, is what led me to the point where I really had no choice but to become an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. And so at a certain time in my life, I met uh, two guys who were, um, who I got along with really well, and we had a lot of things in common, and it just seemed like the right thing to start trying to uh, create a business together. And I had done a bunch of like freelance online copywriting kinds of things before that, just trying to learn how to sell, how to be persuasive. And when I met them and we started talking about things, it just also we knew that that was going to be something that was going to be good. And we went from there and we started this company. So I have some questions for you. So first thing, ironically, um, I have one of my best friends from childhood. His father was also a plumber who oh, yeah. had a business yeah, that I worked for off and on throughout my youth. And, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, and, and same thing. He, he worked nonstop you know, sometimes 70, 80, 90 hours a week, paid all everybody else first, made very little money and did the exact same thing that your father did when he finally decided to get a job as a plumber 
he made more money and he was happier and he thought yeah. being a, a being in business for yourself was the dumbest thing ever after that and so <laughs> i remember meeting him after i'd been an entrepreneur for a few years and he was now working for somebody else and i asked him how how's life and he said it's great he says i'll never he says working for yourself is the dumbest thing you could ever do <laughs> you know <laughs> and i thought to myself whoa you know because i was chasing this entrepreneurial dream and and looking up to other people that work for themselves um, when I was young and having that freedom. But it kind of hit me and I was like, oh, wow. But I'm curious, Andy, uh, now that, I mean, you're pretty successful to where you've grown your business to over $3 million a year and you're doing pretty well for yourself. Uh, how, did you ever have any challenges because being raised by a person who struggled as an entrepreneur, you pick up those those sure. thought processes and habits. Did you ever have any challenges that you needed to overcome to reach another level as a business person or in revenue or thought processes? If you had some of those challenges, what were those and how did you overcome them? Yeah, that's a really, really good question because I think that um, we all we all struggle with a lot of those things. And like you said, thought processes that... Uh, that start out protecting us and then later on uh, keep going on autopilot and end up holding us back in different ways. I think everybody uh, probably comes across those things, whether they're an entrepreneur or not, you know, in their relationships uh, as well. I know that, you know, being specific to business here, yeah, there's been a few. Like one was hiring people because uh, I had seen, you know, what a big responsibility that was early on. And when we started getting to the point where, uh, well, just a, a little bit of context in the beginning of the business, obviously we weren't making hardly any money at all. So I have two partners and all three of us were doing other things. So it started off very much a side kind of thing. Um, and then we got to a point where none of us were able to fund quitting our main work, but we knew that we needed a little bit more help with this. Uh, and really getting to the point where we were comfortable with the responsibility of hiring somebody and and knowing that we we're going to be able to hold up our end of the deal and take care of them was a huge, huge thing for us. And we got very lucky that I met uh, a girl who is still with us today and she practically runs the whole company now. Um, and it has been great to us, but at every point where we've had to jump up and hire more people, because we've we've had several sort of stages of growth, right? We started out with three of us, and there were four. After about a year and a half, we hired two more people, and I think we we stayed at like six, seven people for for quite a while. We went from there to to twelve people, which was a huge jump, and from twelve to like seventeen to twenty one in like a very short amount of time. And we're right now at like twenty twenty two, twenty three people. So at every stage of growth where we've had to bring on multiple people in like a period of three to four months, it's always something where I have that conservatism where I know that we have that we're going to be doing well for them. But I always have to think very carefully about what we're doing. And um, it's I think in a lot of ways, it's been actually a very good because it makes sure that we you know, have several months of margin in a bank before we bring somebody on, for example. But also, it has made us uh, you know, hire a little later than we probably should have at a few points. And 
It's also made it very difficult for us to trust people who are coming into the company to be able to pick up what we're doing and know that they can really become a solid member of our team and turn over a great ROI within a shorter period of time than we might be able to allow somebody if we didn't have that kind of conservatism. Because I want to make sure that somebody comes into our company is going to be able to make me feel great that I can then commit to taking care of them for a long period of time. Real quick, Andy, let's tell the listeners a bit more about your company and what you guys are doing. Sure. Uh, the company started out as gold metal bodies, and we basically teach physical capability and autonomy online. Uh, we call it GMB fitness because fitness is a word that people you know understand, but a lot of what we're trying to do with fitness isn't so much the lifting more weight or running faster, but just being able to do do what you want with your body, uh, you know, move better, feel better without aches and pains, without um, without running out of energy and all that kind of stuff. So we we do a lot of stuff that supplements um, common fitness things. We we help people, uh, you know, with like their hip mobility, shoulder mobility, their balance, agility, coordination, uh, motor control, how to develop skills, and we do all of these things that help people be better for whatever the things they need to do. So we have a lot of clients that are like surfers, martial artists, uh, um, you know, acrobats, even uh, circus performers use our stuff, pole dancers. Uh, we also have a lot of people that are, are into CrossFit or that kind of thing. And we we're kind of a lot of supplemental work for a lot of those people. And uh, it's been really, really interesting to see how, it's expanding people's idea of what fitness is. And so the other main thing, I guess, is that when we started this in 2010, there were hardly any, any companies anywhere in any sort of niche of fitness that were teaching completely online. And so we, we started out trying to put videos online, trying to create an experience of where you can just go to a place and it shows you what to do. Uh, back when most people were just, uh, it was like the P90X DVD. You, you call an 800 number, you wait, you get some DVDs in the mail and you put them in a DVD player and do them. That was kind of what people were used to then. So we also spent a lot of time looking at our educational model, at how people interacted with the product and how we could make it a lot more usable to people too, uh, which has also been a lot of fun. So I'm learning more and more about the importance of full body movement and, and how it relates to our health in all parts mm -hmm. of our systems. Um, you know, I was just kind of taught to run every day and get, get uh, a bit of ex and work out at the gym. And that was mm -hmm. my basic uh, training for exercise, which I kept. Uh, what I didn't realize, and I think what that, that training lacks, is the full body movement that you could get from yoga or martial arts or swimming or mm -hmm. um, animal flow or these amazing exercises that incorporate uh, more in multiple usage of uh, muscles and in, in parts of your body than, than you do from just regular uh, working out. But not that working out and running is bad. Or working out no, at the gym and running, yeah, they're still very, very good. 
and, and, and I, nowadays, like I do jujitsu, I swim as much as I can if I have the opportunity and, um, also, uh, have been incorporating some animal flow and then yoga stretches in the morning. So, um, based on you're the expert here, you've been in the, the biz for eight years or so, and have seen, I'm mm-hmm. sure all these different types of exercises and, and, and results that people are getting. Uh, first, I want to ask you, what is your, your regular exercise routine? Okay. Well, first, I want to say you mentioned animal flow twice, and that's great because uh, Mike Fitch, who runs that program, is a really good friend of ours. And uh, yeah, we like hanging out with him and collaborating from time to time, too. Um, my personal routine for the past couple of years has been very, very minimal. And uh, this this might blow some people's minds that the, the head of a fitness company is not working out or trying to improve himself physically, but I have actually... Uh, gotten stiffer and put on weight in the past two years to a degree. Shock. Oh, my God. <laughs> what is this guy doing? He's a charlatan. What's happening? Uh, well, what's happening is um, my daughter is six years old. My company, uh, especially last year, was at a very, very pivotal point. And I really care deeply about my happiness and my family and making sure that this company does well. And uh, – I I firmly believe that uh, priorities are like arms. If you think you have more than two, there's something wrong with you. Um, (laughs) And so I've really put uh, my health not so much on the back burner, but, you know, a little bit off to the side where it's not my main focus right now. And, you know, we have a lot of people in the company. You know, we have my partners are are great teachers and coaches. Um, We have a lot of athletes and, you know, instructors that work with us that can do most of the physical stuff far, far better than I can. And so for me to think that continuing to push myself physically is absolutely necessary to the company is probably a little more vanity than actual reality. So I've taken a lot, a pretty big step back from what I used to do. And my, my current physical practice is extremely minimal. That doesn't mean that it's going to stay that way forever, but I think life moves in you know, ups and downs and cycles. Mm-hmm. And for the past couple of years, where I've really needed to be focused has not been on trying to get better. It's just been on trying to do the bare minimum that I could to not be in pain, to not have low energy, to not get injured, and to still feel pretty good about myself, right? I'm not getting like giant fat or, uh, you know, slothing around all day or anything, but I definitely have not been diligent about um, trying to improve myself physically. Now, that's a really good point because there's there's times in my life where I'm my exercise is just on maintenance mode. It's not on necessarily Absolutely. growth mode. Yeah. So I still like I'll like I'll try to do actually a walk or or try to do a run at least three times a week for 30 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. So so what would be the minimum for you when it these times do happen in our lives? Right. Well, it changes a lot. Uh, I mean, especially when we were in Hawaii, um, we used to swim a lot. My daughter loved swimming and we would swim all the time. Uh, the past few months we've been moving around and now settling in Japan where we don't have access to ocean or pool or anything, uh, quite as easy. So, uh, we haven't been doing that, but I do love walking and that's a great thing when you're traveling or when you're going to different places, especially someplace new is just getting out and walking around you know, I'll take one or two hour walks several times a week. And I love doing that. Um, 
Also, just, you know, stretching and moving around. Uh, we do a lot of things at GMB that if you if you go on our Facebook or Instagram and look at some of the videos, you'll see uh, videos of people just kind of rolling around on the floor and doing stuff that, frankly, if you're not used to it, probably looks a little silly. <laughs> and we're okay with that because we've been doing this for a long time. And I think anyone who's ever done like martial arts or dance is used to doing movements that might look silly to someone who's uninitiated. But if you're, if you're only just used to like running, swimming, weightlifting, and you look at these things, you're like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> so, you know, to me really though, that's what I come back to is, uh, you know, I, I walk a lot and I also, you know, stretch out and move around, you know, roll around on the floor, do some of these movement patterns that, uh, that we know are good for, you know, your, your motor, uh, motor development, your, your vestibular system, all of these different things, you know, that kind of stuff to me, uh, since my main sport was always martial arts, keeping my, my motor skill, my, my balance, my agility and my mobility and flexibility, keeping those is a lot more important than to me than keeping up my, my strength or my explosive power. Right. Um, even though those things are important in martial arts, just knowing that, uh, my balance is still going to be there or I can move the way I need to, or I can lift my leg up the way I want it to go and kick at whatever angle. Those things are a lot more important to me. So, you know, outside of just taking walks, playing with my daughter, um, and, you know, dropping into a martial arts practice when I get a chance, which is another great thing about moving back to Japan. I'll be able to do that more often. Mm-hmm. But, uh, outside of those really just kind of stretching out and rolling around and, you know, some of the stuff that you, like in yoga, they might call it, you know, uh, embodied movement, really being present in your body as you go about things. And so that kind of stuff to me is really valuable. Um, what type of martial arts do you practice? The martial art that I practice is called Taito. It's a Japanese art that is about 60 years old, pretty minor, not very well known. But if you can sort of visualize maybe a combination of like karate and uh Brazilian capoeira, but without the drums. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, it's kind of acrobatics, like a Chinese wushu sort of thing, and uh, really moves the body in all kinds of different directions. And uh, it's not a street self-defense art, so uh, don't flame me with uh, <laughs> any 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 stuff. But uh, it's a lot of fun, and it's very very creative. And I just always enjoyed moving and exploring different ways that I could move, and especially in partnership with a, a partner or an opponent, being able to do that really opens the possibilities up. So that's Taito, and it's something I've been doing. Actually, uh, actually, yesterday was my thirty fourth anniversary in Taito. So wow, so yeah. you you've been around the the Taito world, right? Because it's only sixty years old. Yeah, I pretty much know almost everyone who practices it. <laughs> Is there any place outside of Japan? I mean, I'm sure there's there's a few yeah. places, but any... Uh, we have a couple dojos around the Atlanta area in the U.S. Uh, we have several. Uh, we have a pretty good association in Finland and in Sweden. There's also a few other smaller nations in Europe that have dojos. Australia and Sydney has a pretty good-sized group, and mostly around Japan, of course. Excellent. That sounds really cool because I do enjoy capoeira. So that would be really fun to experience. Um, I'm curious how, since you said it was a mix between capoeira and karate, uh, how is it, how do you handle the ranking system? Uh, well, I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily a mix. It's, okay. You know, it didn't, 
doesn't it's not necessarily derived from those things right uh, even though being japanese it does derive somewhat from karate but uh the the movements are a little reminiscent of capoeira uh the ranking system is very traditional japanese uh martial arts rank uh we have a don q system uh where you move up from uh six fifth q all the way up to first q then shodan the first degree black belt and from there going up the ranks uh and we also have you know instructor ranks like Renshi, Kyoshi, Hanshi. So I'll have to check that one out. Let's let's talk about the business a little bit more now. I know you, you mentioned you have twenty three employees roughly, and yeah. they're spread out over nineteen time zones, and that yes. sounds like a juggling act for an expert. But I'm curious, you know, um, what I noticed with a lot of the location independent entrepreneurs that have come on the show is that they try to base in the similar time zone that their their employees are at or um, at least try to get employees where they're based or because that helps a lot. And right now I'm in Thailand and I know like working on American time is very difficult sometimes. And so I'm curious, how do you guys handle 19 time zones with 23 people right i mean yeah like you said a lot of people try to consolidate i know uh, laura roter is based in texas and she has a completely uh distributed team but everyone works in u.s time i think in u.s central time uh and that's that's a non-negotiable thing for their company right which is amazing but i don't think i'd be able to do that because well that time, that time zone would have been terrible for me. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, we never started out trying to be a remote or a location independent company. We never thought that was a thing really until like several years later, we realized people were talking about it. Uh, it's just when we started, uh, Ryan and I were in Japan and Jarlo was in Seattle. And a few months after that, our, our Jarlo was actually in Hawaii. And a few months after that, Jarlo moved to Seattle and I moved to Hawaii. He basically just did that because he heard I was coming and I was really pissed off about it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> just kidding, of course. Um, the, the thing is, is we just always from the beginning, we started out that way. So it just became normal to us. We started out doing everything by email. And uh, then emails got weird. So we just kept a Skype chat open between the three of us. And then we would we would actually you know set a time and, and talk live on Skype every week or so, right? That was how it began. And from there, as we added more people, you know, the systems changed, the tools changed, uh, systems and, and uh, routines evolved. But basically, it all just, it's all just been kind of our DNA that we don't expect people to be on the same time zone. And that we, we know, even if you're in the same time zone, we all have different lives. Uh, you know, like I said, at the beginning, um, you know, autonomy has really been a big thing to us. So, you know, Jarlo in the beginning, um, you know, was doing physical therapy work. And so his schedule was very strange. And he also had twins, uh, very young twins at the time. So there were a lot of th- things that came up that he had to change his schedule. Ryan was a personal trainer and had a gym in Osaka. And we all had very strange schedules. So even if we had been in the same time zone, um, we would have had to arrange things around that. So part of our thing has always been that it's up to each individual to learn how they can work well in this environment. And so we've had to go through a lot of changes with that. And everyone in the team, you know, 20 plus people, 
Uh, we talk about this often, you know, different strategies that work for us, different things that we found that help us stay focused or help us prioritize. And, you know, some people like to work in one long chunk. Some people like to have a couple of sessions during the day. Some people like to work, you know, a few hours every day or a lot of hours a couple of days. And we let everybody just sort of determine that for themselves as long as it's communicated with the people that have to rely on them. That's the most important thing. I think when, you know, you are dealing with, well, communication is important anyway, you know, but when you're dealing with people in different countries and different time zones and when you can't see each other face to face, communicating just gets 50,000 times more important and, and also just communicating expectations uh, because a lot of the things that you can assume and you can take for granted when you're in close, you know, real-time contact with people don't translate across, you know, mediated conversations and mediated communication. So you have to be, you know, doubly, triply diligent about making sure you say, you know, if you're, we have to tell our staff, you know, if you're going to take more than, you know, three or four days off, uh, and that's not your regular routine, you have to let people know. We don't really... You know, we don't care how many hours you're working, but we care that we know you'll get back to what you're doing if somebody has to ask you something, right? Yeah, makes sense. How do you maintain the company culture with handling so many remote employees in different parts of the world? Yeah, there's a, there's a few things, that, and it's really important. Um, one of the things is knowing that culture changes. Our culture has changed uh, over time. Uh, it was a lot different when it was, you know, three guys. And then when we had a small group of people that we could really be like, you know, the, the cliche of family, right? Um, and you can't have a family feel with more than 20 people. It's just not really possible. Um, so we've had to adjust things. I think that's a very important thing with culture is to recognize that it does change as you bring in people over time, especially as those people have, you know, important roles. But the things that we do, um, you know, we have, we do a lot of uh, Zoom meetings, a lot of video meetings. Um, try not to do them to the point where they become distracting or a time suck. But we do a lot more of them than we probably, than is strictly necessary because we recognize that being able to see each other in real time and being able to interact, uh, you know, on an ongoing basis, at least periodically, you know, adds a lot more depth and uh, to the communication and to the feeling that you know people. So we have uh, we have a weekly sort of general team meeting that uh, we we move it around in terms of time zone slots to make it kind of fair and accessible to everybody. Uh, we have a couple of different times that it alternates, and it's not mandatory, but the people that can make that time try to get on, and we just. You know, we're updating and we do a lot of stuff that might seem like it's redundant since it's probably posted somewhere in text, but we have that chance to communicate in real time, which actually makes us feel a lot closer. We also have, you know, we use chat and, uh, you know, we have a very liberal policy towards uh, jokes and just complete irreverence. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing I think is really important. Yeah. Um, just to let people be themselves and, and have senses of humor and, and joke around and and be be irreverent and also irre irrelevant sometimes. I think that's important. So we, we have that space for people. Um, and then whenever possible, you know, we try to get people together. The last like three years, we've 
We've gotten the whole team together in one physical location, uh, minus one or two people who couldn't make it. And I think that probably next year we're going to have to shift towards having, you know, three or four smaller meetups with groups of people that are able to make it uh, at various times. So when you do meet up as a team in, in a location, what's the environment? Where, where do you guys go and, and how long are you meeting for and what are you doing when you're meeting? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, we have not nailed that down. It's been different every time and I don't think we have a magic formula for it. Uh, the last one we did a few months ago was probably the best one yet though. We, we found this giant mansion in Vegas nice. that had like – uh, 20 something bedrooms and freaking ridiculous dolphin statues and wow. shit. It was, it was so gaudy and lovely <laughs> and it was amazing. We, we found it on Airbnb and it was only, it was like 2,500 a night. I don't know how it was so cheap, but it was great. And we, we got, I think 18 of us there uh-huh. and for, for like four days we, we had a couple of uh, kind of like big meetings where we had people sort of present like where they're going with things, uh, where different teams are at different projects and stuff. We did a lot of things um, trying to we – had, we had maybe like five or six people that were newish and had not met the rest of the team yet. So we did a lot of things like going through sort of some of our history stuff. You know where the company has been, putting things in perspective. We we showed uh, we showed the whole team some of these old YouTube videos from when we first started that were kind of embarrassing. You know, <laughs> everyone got a good chuckle out of how far we've come because, uh, like my partner Ryan is, you know, he's on video all the time and people are used to seeing him and you know very, very collected and confident. But he was like a wooden boy in the beginning. He just wasn't used to it, right? And. Uh, so all of these things that we share some of that stuff to bring some of our history together, help people feel like they're part of the team. Um, we did a lot of that. We also just, you know, ate and drank together a ton, took a couple of hikes, uh, saw, saw a Cirque du Soleil show, right? Yeah. Uh, it's a mix of things, right? There's a little bit of work, but we, the one thing is that we try not to expect that anything very important is going to get decided or done. Because it just puts too much pressure around an event to make huge decisions or, or commitments in that environment uh, because we're all very excited and it's a very different place. Uh, so when we tried to make big decisions or do major planning events at these, we found that then we would we'd still need kind of a cooling down period when we went back home uh, and and that momentum would get lost by the time we were able to try to implement things and we get different ideas. So what we've really decided is that we will try to do some work and collaborate, but without the expectation that we're going to make any major changes based on that. Incredible. I I think that's fascinating that these remote companies are doing meetups, their own meetups around the world and creating, fertilizing their culture, I guess you can say, in the process of bringing everybody together to get to know one another. Like, I think it's a really cool concept. Could you point anything out specifically that as an entrepreneur, uh, by living abroad and living in these different places, uh, it, it has helped you become a better entrepreneur? Yeah, I mean, the number one thing I, I spoke earlier about, you know, especially working on a distributed team with, with people all over the world, communication is so important, right? And uh, the fact that we've built this business around being in different places and around the idea that we would have to communicate through different media, 
at times that weren't necessarily ideal. I think that's probably sharpened my ability, maybe not to communicate with general people. I don't know how well I'm communicating right now. I'm not gonna not gonna make any big claims here, but it's it's improved my ability to communicate with my team, to be very clear on what I need, to be very clear with feedback, to be uh, upfront with expectations, and also to listen to them and to understand what their needs are and what they're struggling with and uh, the kind of help that they need, what's getting in their way of getting things done. Um, that's definitely the number one thing. Um, and I mean, theoretically you could probably do that if you just locked yourself in your bedroom and never left and just made everyone deal with that fact and (laughs) never traveled anywhere. Right. But by being in another place, everyone knows that many people in our company are on different time zones, have different holidays and et cetera. So all of us have to sharpen that skill of really being very clear and intentional about the way we communicate and set expectations with each other. And I think that that has been like the number one thing that's made our, our internal culture very strong. Beautiful, beautiful way to put it. Andy, I think we're going to wrap up there, my friend. I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your tips and tricks and all your wisdom. If the listeners want to reach out and learn more about you and what you guys have going on, where's the best place they could do that at? Uh, I don't have any ebooks or anything, but you can go to gmb.io, and uh, that is probably the best place to see the company. If you want to chat me up, uh, find me on Twitter. Excellent. Andy, again, thank you so much for sharing your uh, all your knowledge with us. And listeners, and listeners, thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high performance productivity coaching and our annual Get Shit Done live retreat in Thailand. Both are designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to get a lot of work done rapidly and whether you need some personal coaching while working away at home or a retreat in Thailand where you can get out of your normal routine and surround yourself with other successful entrepreneurs, we have those options for you. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com and we'll see you on the next podcast.